Good evening, church. Tonight's Bible reading is taken from the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 1 to 41. Job 38, 1 to 41. It reads as follows. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shuts in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swelling band. And prescribed limits for it and said bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since the days began? and cause the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked shall be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness? That you may take to it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the stores of the the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torments of rain and a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man? to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters come become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pylades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazareth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? When the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? 
Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry for, to God for help and wander about for lack of food? This is the word of God. Thank you for that Bible reading. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, it is a joy to be together to be ending off um, our series. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get into uh, that passage that was read for us. Please keep your Bibles open to, um, to that. Father, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you for um, the Cairn Crisis Center, the wonderful work they're doing. Uh, thank you for Christ Church of the Fearden Park and the opportunity to connect with, uh, with them and the opportunity to serve them. Uh, thank you for that Bible study that uh, just started from uh, the prayer walk. I pray that you'd encourage us to also take part of, uh, with, in that prayer walk and that we would uh, engage with people uh, to see those who are unseen and to just shower them with the love of Christ. So thank you for those who are involved in those different various ministries, um, but also most of all, thank you for your word this evening. As we end of this series, I pray that um, the light of Jesus would shine and that we would see him more and more. Uh, this we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. Um, so this is uh, the last week uh, of um, faith in the normal, faith in the new normal, um, faith in the new normal. I think the, the message of Job is obviously about what it means to follow him. If you haven't been with us, it is about um, trusting God when life takes a curveball. It is a wisdom literature, and there's three wisdom literatures, Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs teaches us that there's a cause and effect uh, to life, um, and then at least yesterday says, well, yeah, that might be true, but what does it matter because you're going to die in any case? Uh, we looked at that a couple of years back. And then Job kind of challenges that, that cause and effect uh, um, principle, and it says to us, and it questions us or makes us to think about God differently when we suffer, that there are some times where it is not, our suffering is not because of cause and effect. So in those moments, how do you then think about your faith? How do you think about God in moments of suffering? Now, I'm told I'm not a geologist, and I'm, um, my friends are geologists. Uh, they study these things. But I'm told that there, there's a lot of similarities between coal and diamond. Okay, So they're both made of the same substance, but they look entirely different, don't they? Um, coal is dark. Coal is not as strong as diamonds. Uh, diamonds are sparkly girls' best friends. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say anything about diamonds, but they're just coal. Né? Um, uh, it's just <laughs> um, they're just coal. But what they say about uh, the difference between the two is that the way they created um, the diamonds are often found deeper in uh, in the surface of the earth. So they're exposed to lots of heat and lots of pressure. Uh, and so that's what makes a diamond. Lots of heat, lots of pressure um, creates um, something of beauty. Very often, Scripture, especially the New Testament, speaks of our faith 
as gold that goes through fire and that is purified by fire. Uh, So if you were to apply that to uh, the life of Christians, very often the Bible says, well, your faith and my faith uh, is sharpened through moments of suffering. And I think there is truth uh, to that. And very often it is encouraging, isn't it? That if I go through pressure, I will turn out to to be something great. Uh, If I go through the fire, I will be purified. But, but God, do you have to take us through the fire just to purify us? Um, Who likes going through the fire? Can't God use different ways and different means to purify us and to strengthen our faith. Uh, somebody else says, um, this is C.S. Lewis. Uh, he's one of, um, he's not a theologian, he's a, he's a novelist, he's um, a Christian thinker, and he influenced a lot of uh, uh, some of the things that we, uh, we hold on to. Uh, this is what he says about suffering. Um, he says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, consciences, but shouts to us in our pain. Uh, He goes on to say that pain, it is the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God uses pain to rouse the attention of a deaf world. Um, I remember uh, 2020 putting up that post, just on the verge of uh, the the looming coronavirus, uh, I put up that, uh, that post. Uh, that God shouts to us in our pain. God, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. But then I'm, I'm just thinking about it, this side of the pandemic. Like, really, God? Really, C.S. Lewis, is that the kind of God that we are dealing with in the Bible? The kind of God who, why can't he use the good stuff? Why can't he use the pleasures of this life um, to, to speak to us? Why does he need to use pain um, to speak to us? And so many questions arise, uh, many, many sort of answers um, arise as well um, as we try to deal with pain and difficulty as, as Christians. Um, but the question, if, if you throughout the book of Job have questioned, is this God dealing with this world properly? And what kind of God is this who makes um, somebody go through so much suffering? If that's the kind of questions that you've been asking, that you, then you're asking the right questions. You're asking the right questions. Um, and what we're going to see as you read through the text uh, this evening, number one is that the questions still are there. there. There's still questions left. Number two, our questions are valid. Number three, and this is, it sounds like we are a broken record, saying the same thing over and over again. We do not have the answers. But in those moments, the fourth thing, which is the whole message of this book, is that God calls us to something greater. In those moments where there are no answers, he calls us to something greater. Number one, we still are left with questions. After four weeks of engaging with the story of Job, seeing him in his perfect life, uh, seeing that he's a devout man, one of the answers that we do get is that he's not suffering because he's done anything wrong 
um, to God. Uh, you'd remember that his friends, time and time again throughout the speeches, say, Job, you have sinned against God. Perhaps you need to repent uh, and turn to God, and he will restore you. One thing for sure that we know, if you pick it up in verse chapter 42, if you have your Bibles, turn there to Job chapter 42, verses 7 to 9. So these are the answers that we have. One, that Job is not suffering for, um, because of his sin. Uh, so now this is God responding to the friends and their judgment on Job's situation. After the Lord, verse 7, chapter 42, after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Elipaz the termite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourself, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job. So Elipaz the Termite and Bildad and the Shuhite and Zophar the Nematite went and did as what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's uh, prayer. Uh, so we still are left with questions, but the answers that we know is that Job is probably, is most definitely, not probably, suffering not because of uh, lack of faith, uh, not because um, of anything that he has done wrong. Um, but what is then the answer to the questions? Um, that illustration of wish. It seems like, Job, you come to it expecting to hear God speak to you, to encourage you, um, to comfort you. Um, but what you ordered versus what you get, remember when you order something from wish, it looks nice on the picture, and then you get it, you're like, no, man, this is not, this is not right. Like, it feels like that as you go through uh, this book. Like, really, God, you're going to talk to us about monsters and behemoths and all of that? What's that got to do with anything? Um, it seems like uh, it, is, gives, it gives unsatisfactory um, answers to the problem of suffering. So we're still left with, uh, with questions. And let me just say, this second point doesn't necessarily flow from the text, but it flows from how we as Christians engage, right? Um, so very often we are quick to just tell people not to ask questions of God. So people are truly grappling. People perhaps who are struggling with their faith and struggling to understand God. We're very quick um, to make it as if their, answer, their questions are not valid questions. Um, so we're very quick to say, but no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't question God when you go. Just, just trust and believe. Uh, and we don't give them and afford them that opportunity to just weep and say, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why these things are happening to me. To grapple with God and to sit there in their grappling. So just to say, the second point is that our questions are valid. And I'm saying that because we live in a, in a Christian faith that is addicted to answers. What do I mean by that? Um, we want to defend God. 
uh, against the face of suffering. We take uh, what is called the apologetic route. Apologetics deal with the defense of God. Why does God allow evil? But the Hebrew thinkers who were grappling with wisdom did not have the same mindset. Um, they allowed um, themselves to grapple with God. Um, the rabbis will come together and just think about some of the intricacies and some of the dilemmas that the Bible is. So they approach the scriptures in a very different format, not in a format of boxing God, but in a format of always thinking about God um, as situations um, arise. One of the key examples of that is two prophets. One is Nahum, um, and Nahum seems to speak of the Ninevites in a negative format. Okay, so you read it and you're like, shucks, the Ninevites are bad people. But as probably the Israelites engage more and more in exile with uh, some people who they assume to be terrible people, you see the book of Jonah almost presents an opposite, almost seemingly contradictory message to Nahum. Uh, Jonah is pro Nineveh. Jonah is saying that God, perhaps God cares about those guys who have oppressed us. So that's an example of people grappling with God um, in their situation. The God of the Christian Bible reveals himself through stories, through progressive revelation. Uh, and so we don't, there's things that we can know about him, but let us not think we have boxed him and have fully understood him. Because if you can fully understand God, then he ceases to be to be God. Uh, so we will tend to try to defend God, try to explain him, um, and some of our explanations are correct, but we need to allow people to grapple with him. Their questions are valid, and their grapplings and cries are valid. But the main point that we come to is the third one, which is that there are no answers. There are no answers um, to Job's uh, suffering. He's not suffering uh, because of um, some answer that we, we that is accessible to us. What is the one thing that, as you read chapter 38, that struck you? Anybody, this is an opportunity for you to speak back. What, what did you pick up time and time again? What is God doing in this this chapter? What's that? Asking questions. I'm just like, how insensitive is it? Um, here's a man who's struggling and he's been saying, I, like, I, I want my day in court. You need to come explain yourselves, God, because I don't know what's happening. And then God comes to him and says, dress for action, verse 3, like a man. I, I have a few questions I want to ask you. Uh, and on and on the questions go. Let's read them again um, because um, I just think this... These questions reveal to us the kind of God that we should run to in moments of suffering. Let's read from verse 4 till 11. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Sure. 
Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Um, surely you know, or you who stretched the line upon it. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning star sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling band? and prescribed the limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall you your proud ways be stayed. Verses 12 to 15, he talks about the stars and the, the, the moon, everything else in creation. Time and time again, he says, where were you? And obviously the answer is, Job, like I wasn't there. I wasn't there when you did all of these things. Um, can you do this and this? Obviously, the answer is no. And the theme here in chapter 38 is the theme of creation. It is a theme of an all-wise God who ordered the cosmos, the world that you and I live in, whose purposes and uh, works, whose mind is unknowable. Not only that, it is beyond human capacity and human um, ability. And so Job responds in, as the Lord speaks, verse 38 till uh, chapter 40, verse 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord says, I'm not done. And he goes on and on uh, to point him to these two chaos creatures, Behemoth and Leviathan. Uh, we don't know what those creatures are, but it is quite obvious uh, that these creatures are massive. Uh, they are beyond human control. Uh, yet, if that's the case, have a look at verse 10 and 11. So God sets up this case and says, if you, oh man, if Leviathan is bigger than, Behemoth and Leviathan are bigger than you, uh, basically saying, how much more me? Verse 10, verse chapter 41, verse 10 and 11. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I've created you, Job. I've created Leviathan. You, Leviathan is bigger than your wildest imagination. Uh, you cannot comprehend it, whatever this creature is. How much more me? Who are you to stand in front of me and ask me questions? Put some respect on my name. It does sound cruel. Um, it does sound cruel what um, what the Lord says to um, to Job. But there is more to it than what we often read. What we often think is that God is saying to Job, "Just sit down and listen. I'm above you," and that's true. But there's more to it. God is saying, "I am big. I am a wise God." And human wisdom, when it comes to matters of suffering, has limits. There's just some things that are unknowable to you. 
and he calls us to something bigger, that in those moments when we don't have the answers, in those moments where the matters of life are just bigger than us, he is a trustworthy God that we can tend to in those moments. So not only is he wise, not only is he above us, not only should we keep quiet in his presence, but he also invites us to trust in his wisdom, to trust that he is in control of the cosmos, uh, that he sustains everything in this world because there are moments where that is enough for us uh, because we can't comprehend life. Um, we can only look to a God who is supreme and who has control of this universe. That is the encouragement from Job. And as the Hebrew people read it, they would have gotten that uh, from this, um, this story. But we as Christians read it twice. <laughs> so we read the book in its context, but we also read it in light of the God of the Christian story. And where do we see the ultimate revelation of this God? Well, it is in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us turn to Colossians um, chapter 1 as it speaks about uh, this all-wise God uh, who is embodied in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks to a church that is facing a lot of persecution, or not so much persecution, but false teachers that are coming in and he's presenting to them a massive picture of Jesus and he's doing so so as to encourage them uh, in their faith, uh, that their faith would be strong, that they would hold on to the same gospel message that um, they uh, received. Uh, this is what Paul says of Christ, Christ the wisdom of God, that he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the preeminent one. The, the firstborn doesn't mean, it means a place of authority. So his status as firstborn. African culture, lastborn, or at least in my culture, the one, the firstborn has power and authority. The lastborn is the one who inherits. Um, so Hebrew, did you guys get that? <laughs> okay. So in Hebrew thinking, though, the firstborn is the one who is receives everything, who is the heir of everything, but is also the one who inherits everything. So this is the one who inherits everything, the one who is ultimate, the one who has all the authority. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Jesus everything, all things hold together. That when you don't have the answers, this is the kind of God that you tend to, a God who came into our world, a God who controls everything, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminent. Um, he is first in creation. He has a place of honor and authority. Uh, he has a place of honor and authority over every living creature, whether creatures in heaven and on or on earth. He has ultimate authority over death itself, 
that this is the supreme one who came into our world. This is the one uh, who rescued us from sin, from brokenness, from death. This is the God that we read in the Christian story. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that this God came into our world and experienced suffering. That in moments of our suffering, we can know that this God who says, keep quiet, has himself gone through suffering for you and for me. That is the God that you tend to when there are no answers. And very often there will be no answers. That I just, I, I want to surrender to you, O oh Lord, uh, because you understand pain. Uh, Jesus, the one who suffered, um, also as we read the scriptures, we learn that like Job, he suffers for no reason. Why was Jesus crucified? Is it anything that he did? No, it's because of you and me. Well, that was the reason, but he didn't suffer for his own sins. He suffered to redeem us. Job's suffering is not redemptive, but Christ's suffering is redemptive. Jesus Christ suffers, and very often in the scriptures, uh, particularly Mark that we are looking at, the Bible uses the suffering of Jesus as a way to comfort believers. Mark is written to people who are suffering. Mark has no, doesn't make a big deal of the resurrection. It makes a big deal that the Messiah, the one who said to a storm, quiet, be still, is the one who is crucified on the cross. And as such, disciples who go through difficulty can look to that God, can look to Jesus on the cross and find comfort. Because if our master goes through suffering, then the normal pattern of the Christian life is that you will go through suffering. As painful as it is, as mysterious as sometimes it is, there is the Lord of mankind. And so I'm going to end off with this words by Don Carson as he speaks about walking with God uh, through the unknown. He says, to walk into the unknown with a God of unqualified power and unfailing goodness is safer than a known way. Let me say that again. To walk into the unknown with a God of unqualified power and unfailing goodness is safer than a known way. I don't know where you are this evening uh, throughout this book. Perhaps you are struggling and can I say that suffering is not easy? So we don't make light of any of that. Um, please come chat to somebody. Speak to somebody. But know that Christ cares. Not that we have a God who is wise. A God who ordered this world. Remember that children's song, He's got the whole world. Go back to that simple theology. Um, may that simple theology carry us in our time of suffering. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for being a wise and all-knowing God. Thank you that despite um, questions um, that you, you still remain somebody who is supreme, who is on the throne, who's um, 
we cannot challenge and stand before. Father, as you said to Job, um, what is it that you owe us? You don't owe us anything. You don't owe us for our obedience as Christians. You don't owe us a good life. And Father, we do confess that in moments where we go through difficulties, we actually feel that you owe us something. Uh, So we do bring those thoughts, those uh, grapplings before you and pray that you would heal us in those moments, that you'd use books like Job uh, to lift up our eyes to a God who is all-knowing, to a God who is caring, and that you'd increase our faith. Father, many of us have gone through difficulty in the last um, two years. We live in the new normal. So I do pray that you'd strengthen our faith. I pray that you'd give us um, a sense of acceptance of the normal Christian life, a life of suffering, but that you'd have us hope that you'd be with us in our suffering, that you'd have us hope in a world where there is no suffering. And Father, give us that hope. I pray for someone who's not a believer that... uh, the brokenness of this world would not be a deterrent, uh, but would be an invitation that they would run out of questions from the secular world, that they would run out of questions from answers from religion, uh, and that they would submit and say, we don't know it all, uh, but there is a God who's all-knowing, and we want to submit to him. Pray that they would tend to you and trust in you, that they would have faith on this side of the new normal. Please help us, we pray. Uh, Please prepare us as we live our lives. Many are not going through suffering, and we celebrate that. Um, We celebrate your goodness, and we do pray that you sustain them, that you'd have them enjoy those moments. But I pray for those who are going through difficulty, that you would um, lift up their heads um, and have them see Jesus. This we pray in his name and for our good. Amen and amen.